0: Um, even more niche courses like 13 Week Cash Flow, Venture Capital Course, Real Estate Modeling—you name it. Go ahead and check them out at WallStreetOasis.com/courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello, I'm Alex Grodnick. You're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Today, we're speaking with the founder and CEO of Magoosh, a company trying to disrupt the way you study for the GMAT. And just like Magoosh is the best place to help you prepare for the GMAT, Wall Street Oasis is the best place to help you prepare for interviews. Their courses on investment banking and consulting will totally help you land the job of your dreams. Okay, that's it from me. Let's jump into the podcast. Okay, so we are live. i um, speaking with Bavin, the CEO of Magoosh. I think I got both those pronunciations correct. Bavin, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Alex. Uh, actually, sorry, it's Bavin.
0: Okay, Bavin. Sorry, Bavin.
1: It's a tough one, and don't worry at all. But Magush is absolutely right.
0: Cool. Uh, well, I'm 50%. Correct. Um, so you're the CEO of Magoosh, which is, which is an online test prep company. It's got a pretty cool story. I think you've got a pretty cool story. Uh, so let's just get right into it. You know, who are you? How'd you get to be the CEO and co-founder of this test prep company?
1: Yeah. Um, I started Magoosh with some classmates in business school. I went to Berkeley's business program, Haas, uh, back in 2008 uh, to 2010, and uh, sort of had an entrepreneurial itch, but mainly was interested in building consumer products. And I had um, taken the GMAT, just like most people who go to business school and just like my classmates. And we found that experience really frustrating. Um, I had walked into a store, bought a book that uh, my now wife had used to study for the GRE. I bought their GMAT edition, um, studied with it, took an official practice test later on and realized, wow, this book did not prep me at all. And the official practice test felt very different. And, and that was my story of feeling like I was not well prepped and the resources out there weren't great. Um, I heard many of many other stories from classmates and uh, from the folks I ended up co-founding the company with. And we realized this is a problem that needs to be solved. Um, We wanted to solve uh, how expensive it was. PrEP is generally very expensive for the high-end classes or tutors, um, and not everyone can access that. We wanted to solve the convenience issue, the fact that if you are taking a class, you have to be on your teacher's schedule and Um, We also want to solve uh, sort of the support and stress piece of this, which is uh, test prep is really stressful. And, you know, if you are using a book instead of a class and you don't understand something or your class is over and you don't understand something you don't have anyone to reach out to. And so um, we want to solve those. And with that, we created Magoosh and it's an, it's like you said, an online test prep system um, that people can access whenever they want. And it's short videos. We have expert instructors who walk students through every question. And then the great part is if you don't understand something Um, you email us and we have a team of tutors who will respond to you within 24 hours. And we don't charge extra for that because the notion is if you don't understand something, that's our fault. And we want to support you because test prep is definitely stressful.
0: Yeah, very cool. I used Magush when I was studying for the GMAT to go to business school. I thought it was by far the best product that I saw. I bought some books. I went to a course actually at UCLA and then I found Magush, and it was just so simple taking questions, getting instant feedback of how to answer that question, how to do it better. So I thought it was fantastic. So I'm, I'm a believer of the product, but let's get into, before we get into more of it, I want to hear about going to business school in 2008, right in the middle of the crisis. What was that like?
1: Yeah. And then I'm, I'm smiling here on my end just because of your experience with the douche. So you won't be able to see that, but it's a, it was a big grin on my face. Uh, so yeah, I had come from a background in consulting. I worked at Deloitte for five years out of undergrad doing technology consulting and wasn't sure I actually wanted to go to business school. Um, I, I ended up taking the GMAT because my uh, my mom said, why don't you take the GMAT? And I was like, all right, why not? And then started researching schools and researched Berkeley and thought, wow, this, is, this sounds like an amazing school. The class size is fairly small at the time. It was 240 students. So you'd get to know everyone in your class. It felt like It felt very much a community and felt very collaborative from all the research I had done. And I also wanted to move out to the West Coast. I had been on the East Coast most of my life and thought this is where technology is booming. Um, I think I was somewhat fortunate in that I was in school when sort of the crash happened and when um, it was difficult for folks to get jobs and you know, we actually saw the class before us struggle to um, find work uh, just because in 2009, when they were graduating uh, in May of 2009, the the market um, was struggling. Um, but in a lot of ways, we were lucky because there was some rebound by 2010. And when our class was graduating, you know, we, were, we had degrees from this amazing MBA program at Berkeley, and people were looking to hire again. Um, but my story was a little different in that um, I did have a guaranteed offer to go back to Deloitte if I wanted to. Uh, I'd gone through their graduate uh, student assistance program. Um, but I started working on Magouche so early while I was in business school that I, that's all I knew. And that's all I thought I was going to do. So during the summer, instead of taking a traditional internship, one of my co-founders and I actually spent the entire summer, um, forgoing any kind of summer salary and just working on Magouche, thinking, this is an amazing opportunity. You're in business school, you're in, um, the Silicon Valley area. It's an opportunity to try something. And, you know, the worst thing that happens is it doesn't work and you still have a degree from an amazing business school. Um, and so that's the path I chose. And uh, one sort of fun fact is I, I never wore uh, a suit to interview on campus because I didn't interview anywhere because I worked on Magoosh the whole time, which um, it, it was nice when I saw all my classmates coming in dressed up, uh, doing their interviews. So it's just a...
0: Yeah, that is nice. And it's kind of a common story we hear on this podcast is people go to business school, maybe take a swing for the fences, while they're in business school or right after business school and then can kind of fall back on the MBA if it doesn't work. But I've never heard, at least on this podcast, about anyone having to go back. Usually what they, their, you know, big goal, uh, ends up working out for them. So congratulations on that. But tell us about how the going to business school, like, uh, before while working for Deloitte, they sponsor you, they pay for part of it. Is, is that how it works?
1: So Deloitte had a program where they used to pay up front, uh, but then over time, because the retention, I mean, it was good, but some people would leave. They basically give you a guaranteed offer to come back if you get accepted through their program. So you apply while you're a consultant. If you get accepted, they say, you can go to a a short list of, of business schools. And if you get in, we have a guaranteed offer waiting for you. If you come back, we will reimburse your tuition um, partially after one year and fully after two years is how it worked at the time. Again, not sure how it works today. Um, So I was forgoing that I was forgoing tuition reimbursement by not going back to Deloitte and choosing to pursue Magush instead.
0: Yeah. And when you first embarked on this journey, did you think, okay, I'll go to this for two years and then go back? Or did you think, no, I want to do something entrepreneurial. I don't know what that is, but let's go see what, see what that could be.
1: Well, that's a great question, and and frankly, I think the answer is neither. Uh, I I didn't I didn't know. I, I was exploring business school as just a way to see what opportunities were out there. I I wasn't set on doing something entrepreneurial. I wasn't set on going back to Deloitte or not. It was an option on the table, and I think having that optionality enabled me to take some more risks. Um, but I thought, hey, business school is an amazing uh, chance to sort of explore. Uh, And now that I know more about business school, I've learned, well, it is an amazing opportunity to explore. But at the same time, you can't completely reset your career. Employers, future employers do care about what you did prior to business school. So the story all has to make sense. But for me, uh, I didn't have clarity or certainty um, and just walked into this. And then I think by the end of year one, I realized, wow, this, you know, Magush could be something that I would love to pursue after business school. And I want to get it to a point where I can keep working on it. And um, luckily, we v- were able to get it to a point where we felt, hey, it's worth spending more time on. Still, you know, weren't certain about the future of it, but we spent more time on it. And now, eight years later, I'm, I'm still doing it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I guess you could say the audience of your cohorts at Berkeley, except said it was 240 people. That was basically an, a fantastic network to go to and say, hey, how was your test prep experience? How much did you spend? How terrible was it for you? And I'm sure you did that and you saw, wow, this system is really broken. How'd you link up with your co-founders?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a Great point and a great question. To hit on the the first note, you know, we did talk to our classmates and it was amazing to have such a group, like a group of incredible people who we got to be close to who had just gone through this frustrating, challenging experience and hear their stories and it uh, materially informed how we ended up building out the product. Um, and then the way we I linked up with my co-founders was early on, we were working on a case competition together. And one of my co-founders and his friend from outside of business school, had actually started working on Magoosh um, uh, prior to coming to Haas. And so they've been dabbling a bit. And when we worked on this case competition together, he realized he really enjoyed working with me and a few other folks. So he um, asked all of us to come over and shared magush at the time what it was with us and said, do you want to be involved in this? And I thought, yeah, I, this, this hits you know, everything that's important to me, um, a great mission, it's a consumer internet based product and, you know, I'm in business school, I should take some risks and I do not consider myself a risk taker. And so I thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll do this and see what happens. And, um, you know, business school is a great, great opportunity to meet, uh, amazing people who are doing interesting things. And I don't regret for one minute, you know, taking that risk and, um, sort of encouraged me to take more risks, um, later on as well.
0: Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. Business school is a great place to meet co-founders, interesting people that think like you or don't think like you, but, uh, kind of a lot of thought provoking conversations happening all the time. Was it helpful being in business school and starting this business? Yeah. It gave you access to the, to the, your fellow co-founders, but did Haas like provide you resources that made it easier to start a business or was it would have been easier to not be in business school and starting a business?
1: Oh, that's a great and tough question. Um, But uh, I'll I'll give you my sort of perspective, which is I would not have started a business had I not been at Haas. And I think that more than anything is indicative of how business school, for me personally, and I've seen for others transforms their journey as an entrepreneur. Um, I was not an entrepreneur prior to Haas, and leaving a full time job to start a business or trying to start something on the side can be really difficult. Haas actually gave me an opportunity to start a business without worrying about the loss of income because you're not earning when you're in business school anyway. And then on top of that, they have an amazing, the school itself has an amazing foundation for helping entrepreneurs. Um, The specific areas are one, a network. You have a network of past entrepreneurs who uh, have done phenomenal things. Uh, Just yesterday, I met up for coffee with a Haas grad from about three years prior to me, who recently took his company public and we were chatting about you know, his experience and my experience and having that network is is phenomenal um, Two, They have mentorship and guidance during the program that's geared towards entrepreneurs. And so you talked about um, us talking to our classmates, serving them, having conversations. Well, there's a class on, you know, market research where you learn how to actually write a good survey um, and one where you can use the results, how to analyze the data. You learn the foundations of what you need to do to think about these problems, not just as an entrepreneur, but really in any field. Um, And so, you know, from the network and from the classes, and then um, also just the the supportive nature of your classmates uh, and the fact that people are excited for you when you're taking on uh, a new venture rather than, um, you know, folks who, if you're in the working world might be a little more skeptical of like, Oh, you're doing this thing, you know, probably not going to work or Haas. Um, and I think a number of other business schools, folks are very supportive. And so those three things uh, really made a difference for me.
0: Yeah. So the three of you start out the one co, the one co-founder had already developed a little bit of this and showed it to you and said, check this out. And then how did the development and, and, uh, maturation of the business go from there?
1: Yeah, so uh, the, there were four of us from the beginning, three in business school and one outside. Um, and you're right, the one um, had come to business school with with the one outside uh, with the idea and a little bit of the product and shared it with us. Uh, from there, we, we started thinking about, okay, how do we, we sat in a room, we whiteboarded more ideas, we had a development team in India, we talked with them about adding more features, um, and we basically did everything that you're not supposed to do, which is, didn't get any feedback externally and kept building out the product. And then we quote unquote launched. And when we launched, we got a lot of feedback from our classmates as well as other folks that I would never use this. And we thought, Oh, that that's unfortunate. Um, it was an amazing learning experience. And we realized, well, we probably should have been asking for feedback earlier. Um, you know, three, uh, three four MBAs in a room whiteboarding isn't going to make for a good product. Um, and so the second time around, we started serving folks early um, rather than doing development, we would actually, uh, build out mock-ups of a fake website in PowerPoint. Um, and it's funny thinking like PowerPoint, how can you create a website in PowerPoint where well, you just, each slide represents a screen and you can make clickable buttons to other slides and, you know, it doesn't really work, but it kind of works. And we started showing our classmates this, um, and we were getting their feedback. And then once we got feedback, we would update the PowerPoint and, you know, update the quote unquote website, um, And that model worked really well where we realized, um, hey, we can make significant changes, but we can still solve this problem. Um, And we didn't have to spend sort of development cycles on it. Um, It was much more organic and much more feedback oriented. And that got us to something that we could actually start building and ultimately selling. We made our first revenue in uh, September of our second year of, of business school. So right at the beat, first semester of the second year of business school.
0: That's that's great. And where did the initial money come from for that like development team in India? Did you guys all kick in a little bit or did one guy bring some money? How did that work?
1: Uh, we all kicked in a little bit. And I think um, one of the nice things about you know going to business school is people have typically been working for a few years, have a little bit saved up. Um, and we tried to be very scrappy, um, but we kicked in. We all put in a little bit. Uh, and then a broader experience as well.
0: Sure. So now you've got a product, you've got a team, you took it to market, you're making money on that product. So then you're an instant millionaire, right? And VCs are lining up and, and the rest is history. Is that how it worked?
1: Uh, yeah, no. Um, that's, that's how I, I think I thought it worked and that's how, you know, that, that's the story that, that gets told. But in reality, we made our first revenue, which was $29 and we were so excited, um, to make some money. And we went out for a drink and I think we spent more than $29 on the tab. Um, but then it was a grind. We realized, wow, building a product is only one piece of this, getting people, um, to know about the product and then use the product and then pay for the product. That's, that's a whole nother animal. Uh, and so I think in the first month we made maybe two or $300 total, Um, So just a handful of purchases. And then we realized, okay, we have to figure out customer acquisition. We have to figure out marketing and that's a brand new challenge. And that's when, um, you know, we were four, that's when two of the co-founders sort of realized, Hey, this isn't, the product stuff was interesting, but the marketing stuff, it was less interesting and this is a new phase of the business. And this might not be what they want to pursue. And so there were just two of us left. Uh, But that was a grind and we spent all of our second year trying to figure out, um, marketing.
0: Right. And so now it's you and your co-founder and you're figuring out how to get customers to come see this new product. I mean, as great as it possibly is, you still got to get people to look to see it.
1: Yeah. And, and we honestly, we didn't have answers. Um, and we just tried a bunch of things and, um, luckily, we were able to strike a partnership with uh, one of the at the time one of the largest online GMAT forums called Beat the GMAT, um, and they were willing to so sort of strike an agreement with us where they would promote our product or uh, sort of co-brand uh, our product along with their name to their community, and their community was fairly large. And so that was a starting point, a kicking off point. But what we've learned over time is there's no single marketing channel that works, and you have to experiment a lot. Um, so, you know, now, uh, eight years later, we have a team, um, you know, big team dedicated towards marketing and we're constantly experimenting on different channels. And then the ones that work, we double down on and invest more energy in, but we've realized as hard as it is to build a product, it's equally hard to figure out a marketing strategy. Um, but luckily we, you know, that's something that, uh, we had the time and energy to, to do.
0: Yeah. Where, where did the company get to by the time <clears throat> you were graduating?
1: Oh, um, we still were grinding out a few hundred dollars a month in revenue. So there was nothing significant. We weren't paying ourselves a salary. Um, We had won some prize money, which kept the business going. Um, But by the time we graduated, it was still... just a, a bit of a grind and, and challenge. And we had a product built, but we hadn't fully figured out the marketing strategy. It was that summer after we graduated where we had launched that partnership with Beat the GMAT and we were able to see a little more revenue come in. And I think it wasn't, you know, the revenue that we hoped for, you know, that instant millionaire idea that it wasn't close to that, but it was enough that it gave us the confidence that we have something here, that the people who are paying actually like the product. And so if we can find other marketing channels, we'll be able to figure out what to do from there. Um, But when we graduated, we had set uh, a runway of about six months. And we said, if in six months, we're not in a position where, you know, we can pay ourselves something, um, we might stop working on this. And luckily we got to a point where we could pay ourselves something and we decided to raise external funding, uh, and that external funding gave us some capital to then build out a team and double down on some of these marketing strategies.
0: Right. And i read in your blog about the difference between a VC-backed approach and the approach that Magooch took, but all businesses need some kind of seed funding to get things going. Um, and that's kind of... So t- tell us a little bit about that path.
1: Yeah, so um, you know, at a high level, the VC-backed approach is about companies that... Um, whether they succeed or not could be you know, multibillion-dollar companies because VCs are investing in a number of, of companies and are trying to um, – if they find one really big winner, then it makes all of their other investments work, and they have the capital to do that. Whereas we took the more angel route, which is people who are investing their own money. That's what an angel investor typically does, and they want to um, – sort of protect their downside. So they invest in companies that have a little bit of traction typically um, so that you know they're more worried about the zeros and less worried, I'd say, about the, the billion-dollar outcomes. And I'm overgeneralizing. Um, at the time, we didn't understand any of that, but we realized angels liked our story because we had some revenue <laughs> and VCs um, struggled with our story because they just didn't see a multi-billion-dollar you know, company. Um, for us, though... You know, it wasn't an easy decision to choose to pursue funding or not. I think some capital can help every company, but there's always a question of, well, if you bootstrap it, you know, grow it on your own at a slower rate, what does that mean? Can you still get to the outcome you want? And so this was a debate that my co-founder and I had where I thought we could potentially bootstrap it and do it on our own. And he thought, hey, the additional capital will give us the fuel we need. Um, it'll let us take more bets. It'll let us be wrong a little bit more. Um, and you know, in hindsight, he was absolutely right. Um, he convinced me that this was the right path and, um, we ended up raising capital, uh, a a little bit. And, and I say a little bit, it was about uh, the time it was like $500,000, which is a lot uh, to a lot of people, but, um, from a startup perspective, that's, that's just a little bit, um, And we were able to hire a team and start growing the business. And it did give us the fuel we needed to sort of get to the next level.
0: Right. Well, that's encouraging to hear. And how did you guys divide responsibilities? What was your co-founder's background?
1: Yeah, he he had a little more work experience. His name was Hansu, and he he was the CEO. So he's the one who pitched the investors, and I would come along for some of the meetings, but he's the one who networked with them. He was thinking about the vision of the company, with certainly with my support. I was thinking more about product, but that was my background coming from technology consulting, what the product's going to look like. And I also um, focused a bit on some of the different marketing strategies, Um in terms of like what tactics we're going to execute and what experiments are we going to run. And it took us a while to sort of figure out these roles, but I think it was really important for any founding team to have some role clarity. It lets you run a little faster. It lets, um, it gives you and the people you hire more clarity on who's responsible for what.
0: Right. So you guys are going at this together. Things are going pretty well. You've raised money. Um, But, but then I've, read about the story of Magush and I know that there was a pretty big um a pretty big incident that happened so can you can you talk about um you know kind of what happened to your co-founder?
1: Yeah, so um Honsu, the, the CEO had was diagnosed with lung cancer um in December of 2011. So this is about 18 months after we had graduated. We graduated in May of 2010 and it was about you know a, about a year, 9 months after we'd raised some funding. Um, and at the time, you know, we, we knew it was late stage, but it, it was still seemed promising, but he stepped away from operations um, in January of 2012 to get treatment. And so, you know, we had this team, we'd lost our leader um, from a day to day perspective, but he and I were were very, we were very good friends. We were very close and we still kept in touch and still updated him on the business. He still provided his input. Um, but over time, as, you know, some of the treatments were working, some weren't, he ended up ultimately passing away uh, March of 2013 after a 15-month battle. Um, and, you know, it was, yeah, it, it's, it's tough. It was saddening. Um, it was a huge loss. Um, you know, personally for me, he's was one of my closest friends um, to the team, um, you know, and I would say to the, the world in general, he had so much to offer and such energy and passion. Um, and so,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That's that's so terrible. I'm so sorry. I can't imagine what that was like for you. What that was like for your team. How did that change the way you were thinking about about the business? Did it did it make you more resolute on on growing this? Did it did it waver? Did Did you think you know maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore? How do you think about it?
1: Um, that's a great question. I think because we had taken external capital and we'd hired a team, I thought, well, you know, we've got to do. I sort of owe it to to them and to him to just try to to move this business forward. But I mean, being open and honest, I I definitely had concerns. I thought, how am I going to do this without him? How can we do this without our leader? Um, and that that was a challenge. Um, but he, you know, encouraged me and pushed me. And you know, the team was still ready to go. And so um, after we got through some bumps of you know, whether the business was viable or not, we started seeing good growth. It definitely made me more resolute and made me realize, okay, we can honor, um, you know, his work and push this business forward. And it's something that, you know, I, I feel comfortable doing, um, without him. And so we, we pushed that forward.
0: Well, I like that piece of the story and rising to the occasion and coming together. I mean, I, I imagine this was a pretty, uh, bonding experience for, 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 everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was. Um, you know, it's it, a loss like this is is really
0: tough. And
1: um, but everyone sort of rallied together and did what they needed to do and stepped into other roles, and um, and we were able to think think about, hey, what would Hansu say, and that that was certainly important, and um, able to drive that the business forward, which is phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the future. So you guys started with GMAT. Obviously, that was your bread and butter, but you've since expanded into lots of different tests. Where do you go from here?
1: Yeah, so now we have, I want to say, eight um, tests in in the GMAT, GRE, uh, LSAT, MCAT, thinking about the grad market, then TOEFL and IELTS as English uh, as a foreign language test, and then um, SAT and ACT for high school uh, and so we're really pushing a lot, all of these forward. We see such an opportunity. We've seen such success with the GMAT and GRE. I mean, we estimate that 10 to 15% of people who take the GMAT or GRE are um, using Magush for as our one of their main sources of prep. And so we've had such good feedback. We've heard many stories like yours where, you know, you've tried other things and then you used Magush and you had a really good experience. And so we're now applying that to all of these other markets and thinking about where can we expand from here? Because we... I mean, really, Magush aims for three things. One is test prep for everyone. Um, Test prep is generally very expensive. Magush costs about uh, $100, give or take, uh, 100 to 200, one time. So it's not a subscription. It's just you pay one time, you get access. We hope that um, you never pay us again for that same test and you do well and you tell your friends. And then the second thing is we have amazing content. All of our content folks, uh, our core content curriculum folks, are full-time employees. So we don't outsource the content. Uh, and that means we can iterate on it. That means that we're really committed to changing our content. And the way I like to think of it is when you're a teacher for the first time, you can't anticipate all of the questions a student might ask. And you're you're working on your lectures. If you're a teacher for 20 years, you've probably seen every question that you're going to see about your material and you've refined, um, your lectures. And, you know, there might be a one-off, but beyond that, uh, you can predict things. And because we have so many students, our experts get all of this like 20 years worth of feedback within like a three, six month period. And we're able to iterate on our content and make it you know, really valuable. And then the third piece is we care so much about a student's experience. Um, test prep sucks. I mean, standardized tests suck. It, it is challenging and stressful and they're a high barrier um, to whatever you want to do in your career. And so um, we want people to reach out to us when they're stressed and using magouche and say, "Hey, I'm stressed," and then we'll say that's totally understandable, and we're here to support you. And we want to, you know, we want to be accessible and we want to be friendly. And um, these are the tenants that we care about. And we're growing uh, the business and growing our product lines to deliver this type of value across many different tests and other sort of learning areas.
0: Got it. And you know, when I was in business school, I took a class on disruption. And we learned about the classic pattern of a company starting off in the low end and then moving up market, very similar to Netflix, having a $8 a month um, product and cable companies thinking, oh, that's completely different from from what I'm doing. And and then fast forward to today. And now Netflix is disrupting those cable companies. And so it's kind of um, synonymous with what you're doing. So do you hear from, you know, the, the leaders of big test prep companies? Um, what do they think about you?
1: Oh, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, it, it's hard for me to know what, what they think about us, and I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't want to speak for them. And we've had some conversations with folks like that. And I think everyone's realizing that um, technology is going to play a very important part in education. And I think I've, people have different theses around that. Uh, for us, it's that technology can't fully replace the instructors. Um, and that's why we do have a component where people can reach out to us. Um, but I think everyone's thinking about what that technology looks like and thinking about you know companies like Magoosh or maybe there's um, other companies in other markets out there that we're not in. And how can um, the big companies, the incumbents, make sure they're making use of technology and trying to reach their students? I think the, the core advantage is we are a technology first company. Um, this is in our DNA. This is how we've built the company. Um, and uh, I think that's the advantage that, that we have is we'll, the execution potential of magush
0: Right. Well, Bavin, this was really fun talking with you. I, th- I think it's going to be really helpful for our listeners. Hopefully they'll check out magush I know a lot of them are thinking about business school and grad school. So um, I will let you have the last word, but unless there's anything else, thanks so much for doing this.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Alex. Um, yeah, if someone is thinking about taking the GMAT or GRE, um, which you can both take both for business school, yeah, check out Magoosh. We have a lot of free resources. Uh, and then like Alex said, it worked for him, and I'm sure it'll work for many of you.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks again. All right, thank you. Okay, thanks for listening today. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. In the meantime, check out their career guides on Wall Street Oasis, leave us a review on iTunes, please, and tell your friends. Thanks for listening.